Welcome to the Rebel at Large Adventure Podcast. I'm Drifter. And I'm Gypsy. Talking about ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. Howdy, folks. Thanks for joining us for yet another adventure. Today, we're taking you to the Southwest, where the average high in July is 106 degrees, and you can feel the asphalt squish beneath your feet. Yeah, that's a little too hot for me. It's too much. <laughs> Well, in October of last year, we were on a 10-day trip celebrating our birthdays and getting ready to be married in Tombstone, Arizona. We did talk about that trip. Gross. I know. Um, On the trip down, we spent one of the nights in Phoenix, Arizona and stayed at the infamous Hotel San Carlos in downtown. We had heard stories of it being haunted and figured we would check it out for ourselves and see how haunted it really was. Before we get into the haunts of the hotel, as well as our experience there, let's tell you a bit about the hotel and the land it was built on. Settlers came to the Phoenix area in the 1860s to provide supplies for the miners. A fort was built to protect the town folk and streets were established. In 1873, the town folk built a school at the far end of the city center. They wanted to keep the children away from the rough and tough miners. So at the time the school was built, Phoenix had 16 saloons, four dance halls, two Monty banks, and one faro table. Another reason the area was decided on was the Native Americans worshipped a god of learning on the site. The school was opened on November 10, 1873. It was an adobe building that was about 20 by 30 feet and 16 feet tall. There were three windows on each side with large double doors at one end of the building. A fireplace was located at the other end of the building. A well was dug the following year to provide fresh water for the kids. As the town grew and more children began to move into the area, the small adobe structure was replaced with a larger building. The kids are growing up. They're getting bigger, right? Well, the town itself is getting bigger, too. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, the kids are growing up as well. Dad joke out of the way. All right. Here we go. In 1879 or 1880, a two-story brick building was erected. It had four rooms and a bell tower. By 1893, the building was not large enough again for the children, not because they were growing, but the town itself was growing. Uh (laughs) And they expanded it to 16 rooms. The town was growing at such a fast pace, and people were now living outside of the downtown area. In order to serve the children better, new schools were built all along the edge of downtown, and by 1919, the old Central School was abandoned and put up for sale. For almost a quarter century, the schoolhouse provided an education for the town children. So the entire block was purchased by Dwight Hurd. He had plans to build a unique county building in the area. The county building was built in a different area of town, but Hurd held on to the land. As the town of Phoenix slowly started turning into a tourist town, Hurd decided to use the land for something else. He wanted to build the finest hotel in the city and provide a luxury place for travelers to stay when they came to visit. Yeah, the train started coming around the Phoenix area at this time. Mm -hmm. So more people were coming in. Why not stop off right there? Yep. (laughs) Dwight Hurd came to the area in 1895. Prior to this, he and his wife, May Barlett, were living in Chicago. When Dwight was diagnosed with lung ailments, his doctor advised him to move to a drier climate. Seems like that was kind of their go-to for a lot of issues back then. Yep, they all had the consumption, so (laughs) go dry. The couple settled in and got to work helping the town of Phoenix transform into what it is today. He became one of the largest landowners in the Salt River Valley. The family also raised prized cattle south of Phoenix. He grew his own alfalfa as well as citrus trees and cotton. 
Hurd became the president of the Arizona Cotton Growers Association and helped make the Arizona cotton growers industry competitive. I didn't think they could grow cotton in Arizona. I thought it would be too hot. Well, it's a southern crop. Okay. Well, in 1912, he purchased the Arizona Republican and moved the printing into its own printing building. This guy was a busy, busy man. Mm-hmm. Seems also very common back then, very ambitious folks. Yeah. Well, Hurd partnered up with Charles Harries, and the two worked with architect George Whitecross Ritchie from Los Angeles to design a fireproof hotel. Construction for Hotel San Carlos started on August 18, 1927, with the general contractor Kinney and Westerhouse in charge. They, too, were from Los Angeles. The grand opening for the hotel was held on March 19, 1928. The building is designed in a Renaissance Revival style and is seven stories tall. It has 144 guest rooms with 84 outside view rooms and 60 interior rooms. It has a penthouse and an apartment for the servants. All the furniture of the hotel was provided by the Doris Heyman Furniture Company, which was a local business in the area. I thought that's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. The hotel was state-of-the-art for its time when completed. It was the first hotel in Phoenix to offer air cooling in the summer and steam heat in the winter, which they still use today. And it was interesting reading about all of this. Back then when they built hotels in Phoenix, because it was so hot, all of the hotel rooms would have like a patio outside of your room. Mm-hmm. And guests would sleep out on the patio. Oh, wow. Because that was the only way they could get relief. Kind of cooler, yeah. And so you'd basically have like a really, really small room and then a decent sized patio to sleep out on. <laughs> Misters. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so his was the first hotel to not have that. That's why there's no patios in the rooms, because they didn't need them with this hotel. Kind of fun. Yeah, high-tech AC. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, each room had a water tap that provided 24 hours a day ice-cold water that came from the well that was built when the school was there. I don't know how I would feel about drinking that water. (laughs) Yeah. The building was even equipped with a hand-operated elevator. Because of the modern amenities the hotel offered, they were able to charge a dollar more than the other three hotels in the area, making a stay at the hotel cost $3.50 a night. Which comes to about 60 bucks a night today. Which is kind of average for a hotel, it seems like now. Not a high-end one right now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a motel, Motel 6. Yeah. Well, Charles Harris sent out formal invitations for the March 20th opening. On the invitation, it states that, A half-million-dollar hotel offering its guests the utmost in luxury and comfort. It continues on saying, The social life of the hotel guests will center around the outdoor sunroom, the dancing and card rooms, as well as the palm room. Another article I read said the cost to build the hotel was estimated at $350,000, which would be nearly $6 million today, so it's hard to know which one is true. Half a million or 350000 I don't know. Yeah. Well, by the following year, the hotel began to suffer. The country was going through the Depression, and folks were no longer traveling for pleasure. The hotel suffered again when on March 19, 1929, a year to the day of the grand opening, Dwight Hurd suffered a heart attack and passed away. Charles Harris then took over the hotel and did the best he could to keep it running. Harris and his family also moved into the penthouse so that he could manage it better. Yeah, so while reading all of everything I read, Dwight's family never lived in that penthouse. Oh, really? Um, They actually had like their own mansion Okay. prior to having the hotel. 
And when he and his wife, they would go around and collect artifacts from the area. Hmm. And when he passed away, his wife kind of turned the house into a museum. Oh, really? So if I remember correctly, the house is still the museum today. Oh, that'd be interesting to check out. Yeah, I thought, I wish I would have known that when we were there, but... Yeah, let us know if you guys have visited then. That'd be interesting. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, the hotel tried everything it could do to hold on to its elegance. On the July 26, 1931 menu, the hotel restaurant offered a dinner meal for $1.25. It was about 24 bucks today. Yeah, so they had five appetizers to choose from that ranged from an Arizona orange and grapefruit cocktail to chicken a la songtang. And I tried to find out what chicken a la songtang is, and the only thing I could find was recipes for chicken a la king. It's probably the same. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's the same thing, and they just changed the name. So, mm. I don't know, maybe that's what it is. King's a lot easier to pronounce. Yeah, <laughs> it rolls off your tongue a lot better. Mm -hmm. Well, the main entree was six different options you could get. Fried filet of sole, cold ox tongue. Sounds atrocious. Yeah. Or half a spring chicken. <laughs> that sounds reasonable. They offered five sides, nine desserts, and the most interesting dessert on the menu we saw was ice cantaloupe, golden glow, or watermelon. I think anything iced in 106-degree <laughs> weather with rarely AC yeah. is going to be amazingly delicious. Yeah, that was probably their big seller. Yeah. <laughs> or gold. I don't know what golden glow is. It's probably golden in color and kind of glows a little bit. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly, they had five beverages to choose from. So you had your standard tea or coffee and then buttermilk, which sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever drank buttermilk, but yeah. it seems a little thick for such a hot area, well, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> I remember my grandpa used to eat buttermilk. He'd eat it? Like drink it. Oh. He would just like pour a glass of it or sometimes, like we were talking the other day about doing the bread and milk. Mm -hmm. He would put buttermilk in it sometimes. Yeah, it sounds a little heavy to me. But. I know. I'm like, I don't know. Buttermilk just seems kind of like rancid tasting. <laughs> well, World War II brought new life to the hotel with servicemen from Luke Air Force Base staying at the hotel during layovers. They were able to make so much money from this that in 1953, they added a three-story addition on the west side of the building as well as a rooftop swimming pool. The sign out front of the building was replaced with a bolder, black neon one. The canopies on the street were removed, and a metal overhang was placed all around the building. The Harris family maintained ownership of the hotel until around 1967 when they sold it. The downtown area of Phoenix was starting to fail. Families were no longer coming downtown to shop because local stores were opening up in the neighborhoods. No need to come downtown. Right. And tourism began to kind of slow down for them as well. People traveling wanted to spend time at more upscale hotels where they had spas and golfing, you know, resorts mm -hmm. and things like that. Makes sense. The feeling of downtown Phoenix was changing. It was once a thriving spot of entertainment, but with all the theaters closing and buildings being torn down, travelers were losing interest in the downtown area. In 1973, George Malikian purchased the hotel and wanted to bring new life to it. He moved to the area in 1969, and with threats of the hotel being torn down, Gregory wanted to save it. The hotel was in a good spot, located across the street from the New Valley National Bank building, but it just needed someone to love it. And Gregory, he was the man. Mm -hmm. When he purchased the hotel, rooms were going for $3.50. Which is about $28 today. 
And they also offered hourly rates. How convenient. <laughs> you just need to sleep for an hour as you're walking downtown Phoenix. Yeah. Is that all you would need an hourly rate for? Yeah, just okay. a couple hours rest. Power nap. nap. Yeah, a little okay. power nap. So Gregory and his family got to work cleaning up the hotel, painting every room, putting new furniture inside the rooms, and stabilized the building. They replaced the furniture in the lobby as well as the light fixtures. While renovating the building, they found some old original paintings in the basement, and those can now be seen in the lobby today. The penthouse that was once the home for Charles Harris and his family sat vacant for almost 10 years. The Melikinis renovated it, turning it into 12 suites. That's a big penthouse to be dropped down into 12 rooms. <laughs> yeah. 12 suites, it Yeah. Well, it's huge. I mean, we obviously didn't get to go up yeah, and see the whole it. Top floor, yeah. You can see the penthouse when you stand outside and look at the building. Mm -hmm. It's it's a good sized little building. So, mm -hmm. um, it was said that at one point the penthouse was used to house someone in federal witness protection. <laughs> kind of cool. Yeah. Well, today the penthouse is closed off and they do not let anyone up there. They've got cameras that are watching the stairway to get up to the penthouse. I'm sure the doors probably locked several times. And mm -hmm. so, you know. yeah, we did check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Along with remodeling the hotel, he also opened the restaurant back up. This time it was called the Copper Door. They offered an all-you-can-eat taco bar for a dollar. Which is about $7 a day. Not bad. No, still a deal. Uh, you could also get a French onion soup, BLT, or a Black Forest sandwich. For dinner, they had filet mignon or top sirloin for $7.95. So that's around 52 bucks. That better be a damn good filet mignon. <laughs> right. Yeah. They eventually had to do away with the taco bar when the homeless folks would come in and pay the $1, then stuff their pockets full of food and bail. <laughs> this isn't working out so well. Yeah. The concept was there. <laughs> mm -hmm. With all the new renovations and restaurant opening back up, Gregory was able to raise the room rate from $3.50 to $5. Which is a change from 28 to 33 bucks. Not bad. Mm -hmm. And then within 12 months, it was raised to fourteen fifty. So that's a jump up to about 86 bucks today. Yeah, that's quite the increase in just one year. Yeah. He even partnered up with Travelodge in an attempt to bring more guests. But after a short time working with them, he realized the hotel did not fit with their requirements that they wanted. And he dropped the deal with them. Probably hard to try and conform into somebody else's idea mm -hmm. when you had a different one. Yeah. Taking your vision away. Mm -hmm. In 1979, Gregory sold the hotel, but he carried the mortgage. Well, during this time, the elevator was converted to an automatic push button, eliminating the need for a billman. High tech. Mm -hmm. The Millikenny family could not stay away from the hotel, and in 1990, they took ownership of it back. They also added two meeting rooms on the second floor when they cut the walls down of 10 rooms and combined them into two large rooms. So they use them for conferences and things like that now. Mm -hmm. yeah, probably a good business draw for sure. Mm -hmm. well, with Gregory back in charge of the hotel, he got to work making a deal to bring Seamus McCaffrey Irish Pub to the building. The pub was doing so well that they ended up expanding it, adding more areas to sit. Yeah, so we actually ate there when we stayed at the hotel, mm -hmm. and we sat in the new section of the pub. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, I didn't at the time, but I recall it was elevated up a little bit, mm -hmm. and, but we still had a good view of the bar and, uh, you know, yep. nice view of the whole restaurant as yeah. it was. Yep. Um, I felt like the food was really great, and the drink mm -hmm. selection was very extensive. <laughs> yeah, you had a hard time deciding what to drink, and the waitress ended up bringing uh, Gypsy Hero. 
special drink. I don't recall what it was exactly, but she just put something together herself. And I was like, I like whiskey and gin. And she's like, okay, I'll be back because I'm Uh sick of you sitting here staring at the menu. (laughs) (laughs) It was good though, whatever it was. So I wasn't mad. Yeah. In 1996, the Malankians sold the hotel again for a second time, but the sale did not last long, and they purchased the hotel back from them in August of 2001. With the family back in charge, they got back to work renovating the building again. It's kind of a common thing for these guys. The lobby had this terrible carpet in it, and they tried to clean it, but it wasn't working. So they made this decision, which was probably a tough decision to make, to tear out the carpet but they were surprised to find the original marble floor, which mm. I'm sure they were just ecstatic to see this. Yeah, well, and it's been protected for some time with the carpet. Mm-hmm. So. Yep, so they cleaned it all up, and it's still there to this day. Mm-hmm. So when we walked in and we saw this floor, we couldn't believe how beautiful it was. Yeah. I'm sure they have to have somebody come in once a week and buff and wax that floor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they also converted the well downstairs to run the AC system. So it's now covered up and has a pump over it to pull the water out. So no more cold water in the rooms. Mm-hmm. In 1983, the hotel was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Really exciting for them to get that. Definitely. Well, we wanted to stay at the hotel for several reasons. But two of the big ones being it's an old iconic hotel. We mm-hmm. like these old places. Yep. Part of the tag, like ghost towns, graveyards, all that. <laughs> so, And the second being... It's haunted. (laughs) So we're not avid ghost hunters, but we do enjoy spending time in haunted places to see if we can find anything, or if anything finds us, for that matter. (laughs) Uh, Though we did not experience any hauntings while we were there, we still did have an amazing time. Mm -hmm. The Hotel San Carlos is located at 202 Central Avenue. Sounds like an ad. They're not sponsoring this podcast. (laughs) Unless you want to. Give us a call. Anyway, it's basically on the corner of Central Avenue and Monroe Street. Well, when we went to the hotel, I thought that maybe Monroe Street was named after Marilyn Monroe since she did stay at the hotel. Mm -hmm. But I have since found the street name was there long before she stayed at the hotel. So sorry, it's not named after her. Probably President Monroe. A lot of streets are named after presidents. That's funny. I didn't even put that together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, arriving at the hotel was a little bit of a stressful situation for us. We were driving the hearse on this trip, and the the (laughs) GPS kept trying to get us to flip a bitch in the middle of the street, which there's no way we're going to do that in a hearse. If you haven't driven one, they do not have the turning radius to do this. (laughs) Like a little bus. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Gypsy ended up having to guide us around town while looking at the map to avoid the one-way streets that would not put us in front of the hotel, and we're getting close to rush hour, I feel like, at that point in time, too. Yeah, it was. Yep. Quite a trip. A little stressful. So <laughs> if you are ever going to stay there, you need to be heading west on Monroe Street so that you can park out front. Mm-hmm. They do have a section in front of the hotel set aside for people to pull into, unload your bags, and check in. I think that was a valet spot traditionally, but with the uh, COVID stuff and all that still lingering, mm-hmm. they weren't doing the uh, valet at that point in time. Yeah. So we were able to hang out there for a minute, long enough anyway. Yeah. Well, not knowing what to expect, uh, Gypsy went inside to check us in and get directions of where to park. Yeah, so the hotel attendant was very helpful. And when he realized we were driving the hearse, <laughs> he made sure to inform us that he didn't think we would fit in the hotel parking structure. It's got like a spiral to go up and spiral mm. to go back down it. Yeah, parking garage. Yeah. 
Yep. So he's like, I don't know. It might, you might be too long. So um, he gave us directions to park a few blocks away in a pay to park area, which was nice of him. But we weren't really impressed with this as we ended up paying, I don't know, over $40 to park the car Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, it's not an ideal situation. Yeah. And the area was unattended. It was right next to the train station. It just didn't really seem Yeah, I think it was a pay to park for the train. Yeah. Yep. And then we had to keep walking back to the area to put our money in the machine as well as check on the, the car. Yep. And it also would not let us pay for more than 16 hours. So once we hit that mark, we had to leave town. With, I don't know. It was like 7 o'clock in the morning we yeah. had to leave, which is not normal for us. <laughs> no. um, but we, we didn't want to. have to check out. <laughs> yeah. We're like, when's check out? 11? Cool. Yeah. 10.30, we're getting up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We definitely didn't want to get a ticket. So nope. we said, we'll just bail. Yep. So lesson learned for us. Not every town is made for a hearse. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But before we parked the car, we unloaded everything we needed for the stay and took it all to our room so we didn't have to bring it all back. That was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. And the hotel attendant then asked us if he could take a picture of the car because he said his partner's in love with hearses. And, of course, we let him take a picture. I'm well, like, do yeah. you want me to get you in the picture? <laughs> yeah, just tag us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, when we finally made it back from the parking lot to the hotel, we spent some time exploring around the hotel a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was super excited to see the rooftop pool that Marilyn Monroe once swam in. Mm-hmm. And the pool's in a very secluded and private area, so I could see why she would love to come and swim there. It was actually really nice, but a little cold for us to want to get in. It was October. Yeah. Uh, and she would stay in the same room every time she came into town. The She has two rooms that are adjoined now. They named them the Marilyn Monroe Suite. Mm-hmm. It was on the third floor, and it's the last room by the exit to the pool. This way, she could sneak out to the pool and swim in the middle of the night without being seen. And it's kind of a, a raised lip around the pool area, so nobody's able to look down in upon them. Yeah. And then there's a rumor, because there's a stairway that goes to the third floor there from the ground level. There's a rumor that JFK used to stay down the street, and then he would walk up that stairway instead of coming through the lobby of the hotel and meet her out by the pool. Yeah. We did find that little stairway. Yeah. Yeah. Stairway's yeah. there. We, it was locked, I think. There was a gate over it. Mm-hmm. For us, we couldn't go up and down it, but yeah. definitely one of those things. Could be. <laughs> and they're not going to come out and say that he actually did that because that would be very risque of him. Oh, how scandalous. <laughs> Well, Marilyn Monroe was not the only famous person to spend time at the Hotel San Carlos. George Raft, who starred in the 1932 film Scarface, stayed there. I think I have that. Do you? I think so, yeah. We're going to have to watch it. Yeah. Hot tub movie nights. Yeah. We've got a lot because we just talked about Judy Garland and we were talking about some of her movies Mm -hmm. with Jenny. And I'm like, okay, we got to watch that one now. And yep, so we've got a long list to go through of movies now. Yeah. Uh, Betty Grable, who was America's pinup girl, actress, dancer, and singer, once stayed there. And she was the very iconic pinup girl Mm -hmm. that we all think of. Carol Lombard stayed there during the 1930s, and she would book a room next to Clark Gable before the two of them were married. More scandalous stuff. (laughs) Clark liked to stay in room 412 because he had a great view of Central Avenue and Monroe Street. His floor was elevated enough people could not see into his room, yet low enough that he could see out and people watch. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a corner room. Right. Um, Mae West also stayed there. She was a beautiful blonde who got her start in vaudeville at a young age and worked her way into Hollywood later in life. But she actually became a really big success. Mm -hmm. 
In 1938, Arizona Senator Henry F. Ashurst stayed at the hotel, and he stayed in room 223. He spent a total of $43.77 for his week-long stay. Very cheap. (laughs) What is that today, do you think? That would be just shy of $1,000 today. Yeah. It's a little bit. (laughs) Well, when we checked in, we told the hotel attendant that we were on our way to go get married and that we were spending the night here so that we could explore the hotel and maybe see some ghosts. He told us a few ghostly experiences he's had on his own right in the hotel lobby and told us that if we wanted to come back later, he would take us down into the basement and show us the well. Yeah, there was no way that we were going to miss out on that opportunity. No, we usually have to kind of like, so this may sound weird, but can we explore the unseen places? <laughs> he just ponied it up like, that's yep. awesome. So shift change and he took us down there. Yep. So well, we got some dinner next door and had some drinks and then headed back over to see the basement. Uh, the basement looks like a standard basement in a hotel, I guess, with the old furniture stacked up along the sides, creepy old pictures hanging on the walls, yeah, you know, I, shit like that. Do you remember that picture? I have a picture of it. It was mm-hmm. like these three kids. I'm like, ooh. Yeah, it was eyeballs are like they're painted in yeah. so they're staring at you <laughs> uh, the well today is nothing spectacular to see it's all covered up and has the pump on top of it they use the water as part of the ac system so you no longer have cold water from the well going to the rooms uh, we didn't see or hear anything out of the ordinary but it was still exciting to be down there yeah he had it some was. good stories mm-hmm. well some people claim that when they are in the basement and it is quiet they can hear the sounds of children laughing and running around The story of the children comes from the school when it was the original adobe building. Three Native American children were playing ball in the school field. The ball fell down the well, and they went after it. The water at the bottom of the well was moving too quickly for them, and all three were drowned. In 1927, when the school floor was being dug up, the remains of the children were found. Today, they still hang around the hotel, laughing and playing. Just saying earlier, it's much better than them screaming and crying. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The most famous ghost the hotel has is that of Leon Jensen. On May 5th, 1928, 22-year-old Leon checked into the hotel. Two days later, on May 7th at 2.45 a.m., only 49 days after the hotel had been opened, Leon climbed to the seventh floor and jumped to her death. A female scream was heard by one of the guests right before Leon jumped. Her body was found on the Monroe Street side of the building. The newspaper reports say that she lay on the sidewalk in as neat a position as if she had laid down to rest. Guests at the hotel have stated that they've been awoken by a woman in white. She only stays for about 10 to 15 seconds and then she disappears. Folks have said that they've seen her walking in the hallway again only for a short time before she's gone. There are stories of guests hearing someone knocking on the door And when they open it, there's no one there. (laughs) The legend about Leon Jensen and her death is that she came to Phoenix from California to meet her fiancé. She checked into the hotel and was staying in room 720. When she arrived in town, she found that her fiancé did not love her anymore. She was so upset by this that she jumped to her death. Other stories say that her fiancé pushed her, while others say her fiancé's lover pushed her. How nefarious. (laughs) Well, more information about Leon and her death has since come to light. Yeah, the Dead History podcast did some great research on her, and we'll link her blog in the show notes if Mm. you guys want to read more about her. Uh, Leon did not stay in room 720 like many believe she did. Rather, she stayed on the third floor in a room that does not look out on the street. 
On May 7th, she wrote three letters on hotel stationery and placed them in two envelopes. One letter addressed to Jack M. Edwards, undertaker from Los Angeles, stated, My burden was more than I could carry, so I'm coming back home in the way I predicted, but not as a suicide. But this long living agony is too much for me, and now having suffered a nervous breakdown, I could never go through with it. The second letter was described as a rambling affair, bidding goodbye to her friends, in which it stated, The black and blue marks are from a bellboy who lives at the Adams Hotel. More scandal. (laughs) Well, and the last letter was for the undertaker asking, Please notify at once Mr. Jack Edwards Undertaker, 936 Venice Boulevard, Los Angeles, California, and he will by telephone give instructions to have me sent home. So she has to be buried in her tan dress and high heel slippers and for them to play organ music. She continues on saying that she needs a Medicare because she has been too sick to take care of anything. She stated, Nervous breakdown, here for lung trouble, too weak to walk, lost appetite, doctors make me sick, have had too many, just another lonesome and ill stranger. She ends the letter saying, Goodbye and good luck. Think of me kindly. Darn, this hotel pen. (laughs) Oh, shucks. The way to sign off, right? Darn this pen. (laughs) The last line you write before you pass away is darn this hotel pen. Yep. (laughs) You can see it in the letter. The pen like slowly is fading in ink. (laughs) Running out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, to the hotel manager, she left instructions on who will take care of her bill and asked them to make sure all her belongings were packed up. She then apologized for only having five bucks and stated her income was to arrive on the 10th, but it wasn't to be. I agree with the dead history in that the letters she left behind do not sound like a heartbroken woman who took her own life. This was a woman who had been sick for quite some time. She had come to Phoenix for help, only to get worse. Leon had been in the area for two weeks prior to her death, and if she was not getting any better and with no end in sight, she could very well have checked into the Hotel San Carlos, being the tallest hotel in town, and ended her suffering. Checked in to check out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the stories told of the woman and why haunting the hotel also talk about seeing her and then quickly as she is gone. We believe that if she was a woman who was murdered, her hauntings would be... Much more different and possibly malicious. Uh, Leon was tired, alone, and done fighting with little to no results in her health care. Whatever the truth may be, we'll never know. We went to the hotel and wandered around trying to figure out how she could have gotten from the third floor to the roof. There is access to the roof from the seventh floor, but Charles Harris and his family were living in the penthouse at the time. So, though not unlikely that she got to the roof from the seventh floor this way, it may have been a little more tricky for her to sneak past the family without being seen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The other option we thought of while we were at the pool was that she climbed the fire escape to the roof that is located on the side of the building. Right. The fire escape is like the top part of it's like disconnected now, but it wouldn't have been back then. The hotel would have only been a year old at that point. Mm -hmm. So that to me seems a little more reasonable as she was on the third floor. And though there was not a pool there at the time, there was still a sun deck. So there was that opening there. Mm -hmm. Um, She had been at the hotel for two days. She would have had enough time to figure out how she was going to get on the roof. I think it would have been easy for her to walk out the side door, climb the stairs and then jump. Right. Also, if you are 
are on the pool deck and you look down towards the road, you are looking at the Monroe Street, and and that's where she landed was on that side of the building. Mm-hmm. Yep. All that makes a little bit of sense there for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, and and the the story of her boyfriend pushing her or her boyfriend's lover. It's like if that was the case, then why did she write those suicide letters? Mm-hmm. So that doesn't seem logical to me either. Yeah, not so much. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever caused the owner to end her own life, we'll never know the truth. It's terribly sad that this young gal was mentally pushed to this point, and we hope that she's found herself some peace. Mm-hmm. While we were at the hotel, we never got a visit from Leon, nor heard any little children, but we still had a great time. Yeah. So yeah, if you're ever in the Phoenix area and need a place to stay, check out the Hotel San Carlos. The light rail system has a stop just outside the front door. You're within walking distance to several restaurants and bars. There's several music venues close by. Uh, the Orpheum is right out there. Yeah, you had been to Hotel San Carlos prior. Mm-hmm, when I saw Tom Waits perform out there yeah. on his last tour. Yeah. And you didn't realize it was the same. And then we started talking about the Hotel San Carlos. And then you're like, wait a minute, I think I've stayed there. <laughs> no, not until we got there. I'm like, I feel like I've been here before. And yeah. it wasn't even in the lobby. It's like, if this is the place, there's a pool. Like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, it was when we were on the third floor and we went to where Marilyn Monroe Suite is. And then you're like, if this opens up to the pool, I've been here before. Yeah. 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 Well, we had a great time there and we would love to stay again if things work out. But if we do go again, we will make sure to take a car that will fit in the parking garage. <laughs> yeah, motorcycle or a smaller car for yeah. sure. Yeah, not a hearse-friendly visit. No. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, I think that wraps up our visit to the uh, the haunted Hotel San Carlos in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Definitely stop by if you get a chance. So, do you have a dad joke? I do. Uh, of course you do. Mm-hmm. This is a good one. I always say that, <laughs> and then you never like, oh. <laughs> what a dad joke. Um, so what has ears but cannot hear? Uh, corn. A cornfield. <laughs> cornfield. Yeah. That's, you're so smart. That's a corny <laughs> joke. It is Father's Day today, so happy Father's Day. Belated, I guess, by the time this comes out. Yeah, this will be coming out not till July, I think, but yeah. So a corny dad <laughs> joke for Father's Day is perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you have it. That's amazing. Marley, any thoughts? Any big sigh? No? All right. Well, thank you all again for joining us on our adventures. Uh, if you'd like to stay current with us, as always, we're most active on the Instagram. At Rebel at Large. Uh, we post photos of our adventures on our website. RebelAtLarge.com, where you'll also find links to our Patreon, new merch store, email, and other social deals. Yeah, thank you all again so very much for your support on both the Patreon and the merch store. That's yes. been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk to you all here in a couple of weeks. Safe travels. We'll see you all down the road. Start that over again. Fuck. Let's try it again.
1996, uh, Mikel, Mekalin, say it again. Malikian. 